0: welcome to this edition of the panthers presence podcast i'm jordan klein thanks for tuning in today um one thing you might have noticed we're now the panthers presence podcast no longer the athletics pit podcast um unfortunately the athletics pit um duty and activity i'm no longer with them but i mean i'll keep i'll keep doing my thing on twitter i mean we're still gonna have the podcast like normally nothing's gonna change just a little rebrand to ignite some energy into having my own brand and I'm very happy to have my own brand. I'll have a new logo coming soon with Panthers presence. And I'm very excited for this. And another week on the podcast, I mean, the common theme, I've been having guests every week. And this week we've got another guest, former pit tight end, Doran Dickerson. Um we were very happy to have Doran join us on the podcast. Um had some great things for him because Doran he's a guy who throughout his college career he he battled a lot of adversity. He switched positions a lot. He played three positions in three years. Uh, three positions in four years, excuse me. Um, never really had much production. His freshman year, he was kind of a hybrid as a running back and a wide receiver. Didn't do much. Moved to defense his sophomore year. Moved to linebacker. Played under actually Pitt, current pit defensive line coach Charlie Partridge, which is linebacker's coach. Um, we discussed that. In, in, the, in the interview, uh, he speaks very highly of Charlie Partridge. I mean, guy's doing a great job in the recruiting trail. We might get to that later in the episode. But sticking with Doran Dickerson, his junior year moves to tight end. Doesn't really do much. Had 13 catches for 100-something yards. And But his senior year, he really blew up. And this is a guy who, before senior year, he didn't think he would be drafted in the NFL. He tells me in the interview, as you'll hear, He didn't think he would go to the league. He was prepared to go. He was thinking about, what am I going to do after college? I'm not going to play football anymore. I'm going to have to go get a job somewhere. But he had a huge senior year with new offensive coordinator, Frank Signetti Jr., caught 49 balls, almost 600 yards, finished with 580 on the year, and 10 touchdowns, which is tied for a record for a pit tight end. And, I mean, with the stats, he had the accomplishments to back it up. He was named the first-team national All-American. And he had one of the best years for a tight end that Pitt has seen in a long time. And he discusses a lot of that. He, he discusses it was hard for him. I mean, he he wanted to play, and just with the addition of Frank Sinkney Jr. as offensive coordinator, that really turned a corner for him. So, without further ado, I spoke to Doran on Tuesday, and here is Doran Dickerson. Joined by former Pitt tight end Doran Dickerson. Doran, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on here. So you graduated from Pitt in 2009 with a 10-win season, the Panthers' first ten, last 10-win season ever. I mean, the last 10-win season that Pitt has ever had, looking to have another 10-win season this year. And then how about you tell us a little bit about what you did after graduating from Pitt?
1: Uh, so I, uh, I ended up getting drafted into the NFL, uh, went in the seventh round, 227 of the seventh round uh, in the NFL draft, and I got drafted to the Houston Texans. And uh, I'll never forget, I obviously played tight end my last two years in college. I pit uh, Gary Kubiak on the uh, the phone when they called me saying that uh, he wanted me to lose weight and he wanted me to uh, learn everything from Andre Johnson. I was moving to wide receiver. So I played a year uh, of wide receiver at, with the Houston Texans. And then uh, the next year I went to the Patriots. And then the year after that with went to Buffalo. year after that I went to Detroit. And then my last two years I uh, spent – uh at Tennessee for uh, playing for the Titans and I ended up getting hurt those two years. So, yeah, I bounced around the uh the NFL for 6 years and uh I don't I don't regret anything and I don't trade that experience in for anything. That is uh one of a kind and I made a lot of great memories and then I moved back to Pittsburgh, started a family, uh started working for 937 the Fan and doing a bunch of stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I did after Pitt, and now I am in the great city of Pittsburgh.
0: So back to you getting drafted into the NFL. So you said, like you said, you're a seventh round pick. Being a seventh round pick, does that put a little bit of a chip on your shoulder getting to the league, and give you maybe a little bit of a different mentality than some of the other guys who are drafted first, second, third round?
1: Well, yeah, and in my situation, uh, I was best available from the second round to the seventh round, so I just had to watch my name be number one on that board on Mel Kuiper's best available, Todd McShay's best available for, you know, four rounds, you know, f- three, four rounds. And and it was uh tough to watch and tough to bear. But once my name did get called, I did have a chip on my shoulder and was like, you know, it's not how you get in, it's how you stay in. And you know, why wouldn't my Path be like that. Why wouldn't um, I have to go through some adversity? I mean, I went through a lot of adversity at the University of Pittsburgh throughout my career, so I kind of just accepted it. I was like, "This is my journey. This is what uh, you know. This is what's in store for me, and I got to make the best of it." And I tried to do my best, and uh, like I said, have a lot of great memories.
0: So, speaking of the adversity and and that you encountered at the University of Pittsburgh, you changed positions a ton. You bounced around your freshman year, played linebacker sophomore year. You played, you moved to tight end your junior year, but you didn't have much production. You had only 13 grabs for less than 200 yards. But your senior year, a light bulb clicked. You had almost 50 catches, over 500 yards, 10 scores. So really, what changed for you between your junior and your senior year? Uh, it really
1: was the offensive coordinator. Uh, my junior year and actually my first three years at Pitt, Um, One of those years I did play linebacker. But for three years at Pitt, the offensive coordinator was Matt Cavanaugh. And, uh, you know, he ultimately went to the NFL. He's still in the NFL coaching right now. But my junior to senior year, Matt Cavanaugh left, and we hired a guy named Frank Signetti, Jr. And Frank Signetti, Jr., I mean, I I can literally remember and see it uh, so visually right now. Me, Him calling me, like literally probably three days he got to Pitt and saying, come up to my office. I want to talk to you. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to my senior year. At this point, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get my degree. Uh, I got to figure out what I want to do in my future. I'm not going to make the NFL. You know, I'm kind of a bust. I came in, uh, you know, five-star recruit, blue chip, all this stuff, and, you know, it really didn't pan out for me. So I'm going to go listen to what the the new offensive coordinator has to say and, you know, take it kind of with a grain of salt. So he called me up to his office, and he was like, you know what, Thorne? He's like, it's not rocket science. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you're six, two, you're 230 pounds and you run a four, four. He's like, what we need to do is get you the football. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, I've heard this before. Uh, like I said, my, you know, my route throughout my years at Pitt wasn't great. Bounced around positions, you know, tried to make things work. It didn't work. So I took it with a grain of salt and little do we know, um, Frank Zanetti, he, he kept his word and he got me the ball. And that's really what changed. He, uh, You know, he had the same exact offense that Matt uh, Kavanaugh had. It was the same exact offense, same terminology, um, same route, same blocking. Everything was the same. only thing that was different was he chose to use me and use me as their dynamic weapon in the offense and kind of run the offense through you know, what I did and how I was being portrayed on the defensive side of the ball and who was covering me and who was doubling me. So uh he really just gave me the opportunity and gave me a chance. And I gotta throw in my tight end coach Brian, Brian Angelico, who taught me how to play tight end. I never put my hand in the ground my whole entire life until I moved to tight end. Brian Angelico, who is uh he's coaching he was at the Redskins, he was at uh Green Bay uh with Signetti actually I think two years ago. Uh, Brian Angelico taught me how to play the position, taught me how to step, taught me how to block, taught me some toughness. You know, I got to give him a lot of credit. So, those two guys right there, and obviously, Wanstead uh, believing in me, that's w- what changed from my junior year to my senior year. Just a lot of trust, a lot of belief, and the right opportunity and the right time for me to, uh, you know, excel at that position. And it worked out.
0: So, do you think, I mean, you had a very good first few games that year. So, I mean, you're a bigger part of the offense, but, you, but do you think a big first few games for you, giving you that confidence that you really can be a legit tight end in college football. Do you think that helped you just giving you that confidence that you knew you could be legit at this level? You know, it, it, it after the
1: first game we played Youngstown state and I scored a touchdown. I was like, all right, well, we're playing Youngstown state. Nothing against Youngstown state. We're supposed to be Youngstown state. So I was like, all right, I scored a touchdown against Youngstown state. Let's see what happens next week. And we played Buffalo and you know what? We're supposed to be Buffalo too. But in that game, I scored three touchdowns and I scored three touchdowns, three different ways, you know, running, running a, a wheel route, you know, running a, a flat route, you know, running an over route. So after that game, I remember sitting on the bus and I was like, you know what, maybe this is the foundation of me having a nice senior season and leaving Pitt the way that I came in and actually making it a name for myself uh, in the college ranks. So after that game gave me a lot of confidence and not just in myself, but in my teammates and my coaches to, uh, you know, make the right decisions and get the ball in the playmaker's hands. Like even Dion Lewis. I mean, I think he had a breakout game, that game too. Uh, John Baldwin, you know, Nate Byam. We had a lot of great, great players on our team. Bill Stahl uh, that benefited from just, you know, really transitioning from the 2008 season to the 2009 season. So for me personally, that Buffalo game sticks out in my mind as the foundation of my senior year at the university of Pittsburgh. And from there on, you know, it continued, you know, Frank Cignetti uh, believed in me more and more throughout the season, uh, gained the trust of Bill Stahl, who was the quarterback even more and Dave wants even more. So um, that continued and we had a, you know, we had a pretty good year, but we obviously (laughs) didn't finish out the way we wanted to losing to Cincinnati by one point. But, you know, I'll remember that season and all my teammates and coaches forever.
0: So that Buffalo game, was that the game when you realized you could play at the next level, or did that not come till later in the
1: season? That came whenever we played South Florida because there was a lot of hype behind the two defensive ends at South Florida. Jason Pierre Paul and George Selvi. And those two guys, Jason Pierre Paul obviously was a first round pick. George Selvie was drafted in the NFL. Those were the two best D defensive ends in the country. And the, the game plan and the 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 onus put on myself and Nate Byam to shut those guys down uh, was unbelievable. You know, they put a lot of pressure on Nate Byam and myself to lock down those defensive ends and not let them get started. And me and Nate really looked at each other like, listen, if we don't get the ball this game, so be it. We got to make every single block we can to make sure we win the game. It doesn't matter about catching passes or catching touchdowns. We got to make sure this is our best blocking tight end game of our career and you know what it was and if you put on that tape and we put on the tape after the game we shut those two guys down they didn't know what was going on our tackles were, you know literally just <laughs> kick sliding for free because me and nate were literally you know held in at times on passing routes and, and and locking those guys down so i knew that the fact that i could block those guys that i could play tight end in the nfl because those were the best defensive ends in the country in college football
0: so that game, that USF game, that was when the blocking part really clicked for you. And you realized that you weren't just a pass catcher and that you had the complete package.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and I moved around a lot, too. So I would play some fullback. We had, uh, you know, obviously a great fullback, Henry high who won a Super Bowl and everything. But I motioned around and I would kick out block and I would lead block sometimes, too. And I did a lot of that, that game as well. And I was like, you know what, this is, uh, you know, some good film for me for the next level. So to show them that I'm not just a passing uh, pass catching tight end that I can block, I have toughness. Uh, I like to block. And that's the thing too. Like even, you know, it, it, throughout my career, like I, I liked contact. I really did. And then in the NFL, I, I liked it even more. I, I took more pride in making a good block than making a catch. And that's how much my mindset changed. Uh, throughout my tight end career uh, from college to the NFL is if I made a good block and, you know, Dion or, or, you know, Arian Foster or somebody who I played with uh, at the next level, they they made a great run. That was just as good as catching a touchdown in my mind. So I took uh, blocking a lot more serious than probably people think.
0: So speaking of you moving around, um, you played linebacker your sophomore year, you moved from the offensive side of the ball to the defensive side of the ball only to move back to offense. So how do you think that time at linebacker helped you as an offensive player? It was
1: unbelievable. And uh, you know, people always say it was a mistake that you moved the linebacker, you're always an offensive player and and you know, uh, you know, what was Wanstead thinking about moving you there? But you know what? That helped me out so much as a player, not only on the field and uh, you know, where the linebackers dropped and you know how they played man coverage, you know, man coverage and how they blitzed. Um Paul Rhodes was our defensive coordinator and Charlie Partridge, who's at Pitt now, was, you know, the linebacker coach. And he was the assistant special teams coach too. So I had two of those great coaches in that room, in that linebacker room, every single, every single day. So, you know, they took my mind to another level of the intensity of how to play defense. And you know, playing offense, is more methodical. It's more strategic. Um, we always say offensive players are smarter than defensive players because defensive players just go off all in- instinct and offense players have to think. Um, but they took my mind to uh, another level of, of intensity and I brought that back to the offensive side and to the tight end position and I, you know, I added the strategic part to the intensity part. And that's what, you know, kind of brewed together and became the the final product of my career. Uh, so, you know, I give a lot of credit to Charlie Partridge and Paul Rhodes for, you know, changing my mindset of how to play football, really. And, and also, like I said, the coverage part, you know, the dynamics of playing defense. And then, you know, whenever you're on offense and running a route and, and you see it, a lot more clearly because you know what's going on you understand why you're running a certain route or why you're blocking a certain you know dn so uh there was a lot of great things that happened for me personally uh whenever i moved to linebacker
0: so knowing what you know about charlie partridge playing linebacker under him for a year are you surprised by what he's doing now at Pitt, having one of the best defensive lines in the country and being arguably one of the best recruiters on the pit, coaching Absolutely staff. not.
1: I mean, I, I mean, he's one of the best coaches I've ever been around. Um, whenever he was at Pitt, when I was there, I mean, he had the whole territory of Florida, so about 40% of my teammates were from Florida, and that's kind of the trend that's going there now. Um, a great recruiter, a great guy, uh, a great head coach, too. He was a head coach for a little while before he came to Pitt, and um, I think he'll be a head coach somewhere – in the next few years again, because, you know, he's got it, you know, a lot, everybody has it. Everybody, you know, some people have certain great qualities. He's, he has a bunch of very good qualities. He has a bunch of very good attributes to him of, you know, being a coach. So it's, it's great.
0: Yeah. As a Pitt fan, I mean, it would be good for him, obviously, personally, if he wants to go get a head coaching job, but I'm hoping he can stick around just a few more years, just continue recruiting the state of Florida and continue doing great stuff with that D-line.
1: Yeah. I really hope he sticks Yeah, yeah. that. He, he he's done a, a very good job so far. So um I
0: can't wait to see what uh, the product he puts out in the field this year, too. Yeah, that D-line, I I think it's going to be one of the best in the country. I mean, it was one of the best in the country last year. And this year, you're only getting better. With the additions of Rashad Weaver, Keyshawn Camp, back from injury. And he should have a very good unit once again. Absolutely. Year. So – So sticking on the note of defensive coaches, let's talk for a little bit about Dave Wonset. You played all four years for him. So playing for a guy like Dave Wonset, a high energy, a high character guy, what was it like playing for him?
1: He was just unbelievable. You know, I mean, he's a guy that who is just, you know, has the NFL mentality and brings that to the, the college ranks and, and, just his stature and the way that he did things and the way that he set up our practices and our day-to-day was unreal. I mean, the transition from college uh, to the NFL was so easy for guys like myself and guys like Nate Byam. We uh, had that structure in college. We had that same uh, format that the NFL has. So
0: on the topic of Dave Wansett, do you have any quotes or a favorite quote from Dave Wansett?
1: You know what, Coach Wansett always was uh, kind of funny. I don't think he meant to be funny, but he had that <laughs> dry humor. So every time that uh, you know we would have a team meeting, he would come up with some story to tell us, and you know we would start kind of like laughing and nudging each other, and but he would have a straight face and seeing if we were going to laugh. But I mean, one of the one of the stories he told us was. You know, you know, you got a jar and there's a bunch of flies in the jar. And if you close the lid on the jar and there's a bunch of flies in it and the the flies start jumping up and hitting their head and and, and, and they don't know why that, you know, they can't get out of the jar. So we can't be the fly that is in the jar with the jar closed and hitting our head. He's like, we got to jump out of the jar. (laughs) We're just like, What? (laughs) We're like, what? Uh, all right. Well, let's go play. You know, I mean, he was like funny like that. I don't, I, You know, th- the quotes and the some of the things that he would say are just uh, one of a kind. But, you know, his message at the end of the day was toughness is, is you know, we're Pittsburgh tough. We are going to go out there and we're going to will ourselves to be better and dominate our opponent. So we all were on the same page whenever, you know, it came down to it, when it was game time. We knew that we had to be tougher than our opponent, and that's what he preached all the time. That's what he preached in practice. I mean, his practices were uh, some of the hardest practices I've ever endured in my whole entire career in the NFL, uh, in high school, anything. I mean, we were in full pads. We were hitting every day. We were a very physical football team. Sometimes it didn't translate to our record and our, to our game play, but we still were a very physical football team, and we, very,
0: uh, we were a very tough football team. So Dave wants that. You speak very highly of him. I mean, he did a pretty good job at Pitt in his tenure, but he was fired a year after you graduated. So just when you heard that news, what was your reaction to
1: that? Uh, it, it was just, you know, it's devastating to uh, to see somebody like Dave wants be fired, who, you know, went to the University of Pittsburgh, played football at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, and bleeds blue and gold. Uh, it, it was just kind of disheartening because you know, we and a guy like myself and uh, Jason Pinkston, Bill Stahl, John Malekis, uh, we all came out of the whip and we chose to stay home. Um, we chose to stay home and play for the University of Pittsburgh, and that's what Dave Wanstead did too. So we kind of had the same route uh, that he did. And it was just disheartening to see that uh, they would get rid of somebody like that who really cares for the University of Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, just the, the whole departure of Dave Wonstett was pretty messy. I mean, one thing I love about that, which really shows what kind of guy and what kind of coach Dave Wonstett is, is you have all of his players stand up with him at the press conference.
1: Yeah, and I mean that just it just shows exactly what type of a a coach that he is, and and it was uh it was, yeah it was disheartening, and but I ended up ultimately get uh, playing with him whenever he was coaching for the Buffalo Bills. He brought me to Buffalo, and also Doug Whaley, who played at Pitt, uh, was the GM at Buffalo for the Bills at the time, and so I got to play for Coach Watson again in the NFL. You know, play, be around him all the time. So that was kind of cool, but I wish he would have obviously been been. St- Uh, stay put at the University of Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, I'm sure a lot of us would have liked to see him around for the long haul. So one thing we're going to try on the podcast is our first week doing it. We're going to play something called the three-name game. So what's going to happen, Doran, is I'm going to give you three names. You're going to pick one of the names, and you're just going to tell me either a story about that person, a memory you have with that person, or just something fun about that person. So that's good. Sounds good. All right, so we're gonna do three rounds, so the first round we're gonna go John Baldwin, Bill Stoll, and Dion Lewis
1: oh man, that's a tough one um I'm gonna go with my man Bill Stull. I man bill Stoll is my roommate uh he is the godfather of my son uh I have a great relationship with Bill, and you know he um he went through a lot of tough times too at Pitt. you know sometimes he got hurt um you know some of the seasons he had probably weren't up to par that he thought that they were. And then, you know, he comes out his senior year and and, and becomes an all-Big East quarterback. So um, I'm very proud of Bill, uh, and I'm glad I got to experience and share the experience of playing for Pitt with him and and doing the things we did. And we still, to this day, we talk about it. We talk about, you know, know, certain routes and certain plays we ran, certain times um, that we shared together. So those experiences will last forever,
0: and he's one of my best friends. Do you have one memory or maybe whether it's on the football field or off the football field that really stands out like with Bill Stoll? Um man, I have I have so many. You know what a funny one
1: is um what, what what game? Okay, South Florida. Yeah, South Florida. So in the huddle Bill calls a play and he calls a play and actually tags my position in the play and it was uh you know for me to run this certain route in the red zone and it was wide open and I obviously forgot um, and I stayed in and blocked, and if i had ran the route, I'd have scored a touchdown. And he just, like, looked at me, and he got sacked, too. So he just, like, looked at me, and I was like, Whoa, what are you looking at me for? And he was just like, why seven or something yelled at me, and I was just like – and I looked at the corner of the end zone where I was supposed to run, and there was nobody there. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And it was just something that he was just like, are you kidding me? So, I mean, I don't know if that's a great story, but it was just uh, you know, a time where I, we looked at each other, and and I tried to blame him and try to yell at him for looking at me a crazy way. And he was just like, no, you're wrong. Like, you should have scored. I was about to throw you a touchdown. What are you doing?
0: Yeah, so for a second round, we're going to go Henry Hainoski, Tyler Palco, or Ray Graham.
1: Uh, I can go with Tyler, Tyler Palco, West Day guy. Uh, I've known Tyler since I was little. Uh, his dad, Bob Palco, was my high school football coach. I uh, have a lot of memories with Tyler, too. And guy who really taught me um how to be a uh, uh, and you know from high school to college you know how to take care of my how to watch film how to look for certain things whenever you're watching film tyler uh i can tyler and coach palco i can give a lot of credit to for the foundation of me as the football player uh it's started you know, it, it transpired into playing it at- Tyler but you know Tyler is a guy he's one of the toughest guys I've ever been around one of the smartest football players I've ever been. uh most talented guys I've just just he was born to play football and he kind of tried to uh, you know he treated me like a little brother, sometimes were fun, sometimes weren't fun, sometimes were very tough, and he was very tough on me, but I needed that. and he knew I needed that, and it, it benefited, and I benefited from it. And um, you know, I, I owe a lot of thanks to Tyler Palco and what he did in, in high school, what he did in college, what he did in the pros, and what he means to Western PA as a football player, because not many people know that Tyler Palco was an unbelievable free safety. And he was one of the toughest guys to ever come out of the whoopio. And uh, we always joke to this day that, you know, if Tyler would have played safety coming out of high school, he'd probably still be playing in the league for 20 years. So uh, Tyler Palco is a, a big a big person in, the, in my history of playing
0: football, and so is his dad. Would you say the Palco family is – would you say they're one of the most – Influential, or if not the most influential, in terms of your love for football. Oh, absolutely! And you know what, Coach Pucko grabbed me when I
1: was younger too. Um, he, whenever I was in like elementary school, I remember him talking to me and being like, you know, like you have a chance to do this and this and that. And I'm like, who is this guy? You know, this is that. That I find out he's the head coach of West Allegheny Indians. And then whenever I was younger, West they won their first Whippeal. and then they won. You know, whenever Tyler was there, and then it was my turn, and um, they they taught me how to play football, but to know that, yes, I may be a division one player, but it takes a team to win. And, you know, they taught me how to be a good team player. They taught me how to, uh, uh, be humble and to, to respect the game. And I, uh, to this day, you know, I I owe them I owe them to a lot and their whole family. I mean, even you know Amy and and Luke Palco and Mrs. Palco. I mean, their whole entire family. They get it. They get it. They get how to be good human beings, and they obviously get how to be. Uh, family.
0: Yeah. So the Palcos. I mean, just in Pittsburgh, not just Tyler, but the whole family just highly regarded within the Pittsburgh football community. And, I mean, it's great to see what he's doing going to the NFL and now working for 21 Solutions. So, with our last round, we're going to go LeSean McCoy, LeVron Stevens-Howling, and Pat Bostick.
1: McCoy, because LeSean McCoy – so, I was a, I was like a – I was a researcher when I was younger, and I always wanted to uh, figure out who my competition was and who was, you know, good around me. And whenever I was 15 years old, it was my – Freshman to sophomore year, and in rivals.com was somewhat new at the time. And you know, whenever you were a kid back in that day, back in like 2002, 2003, all you wanted to do is see your name on rivals. And they obviously had the older class, but they had the sophomore class too, the class of 2006 on there. And the only guy that was on there was LaShawn McCoy. And I'm like, man, who is this guy? This guy's from Bishop McDevitt. Like, you know, who, you know, what he plays running back. Oh man, he's only 15 years old. He's the same age as me. I'm like, who is this guy? So that summer uh, my dad and my cousin and I, and and my uncle, we take a trip to the big 33 game. And I've seen, you know, LaShawn McCoy's picture and everything. And, um, I remember sitting in the stands and like, I'm, you know, I'm 15 years old and I look down and I see this guy and I see this crowd of people around him and I see this kid. He's just like, you know, kind of like debating with these people and talking to these guys about football. And I'm like, is that who I think it is? And I went down there and I was like, are you LaShawn McCoy? And he was like, yeah, that's me. I was like, Oh, I'm Doran Dickerson. I'm from the other side of, uh, I'm from Western PA. You know, I was like, maybe one day we'll run into each other. Um, and, and, possibly play against each other here and in, in, in high school football I play I play running back too he's like, oh I'll, I'll keep a lookout for you and then you know from that day me and LaShawn McCoy had a good relationship he obviously went to Pitt um, he you know we were always in the same rankings of uh, high school football college football so um, I have a great relationship with him and it was just fun to experience that from a young age till you know, even now uh, he's still playing and, and and he deserves it. He's one of the best talents I've seen at the running back position ever. And in practice, I mean, everything was easy to him. Everything was easy. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, I, that that memory of Lashawn McCoy sticks out in my mind because I, you know, I remember just vividly looking at him and being like, that's who I that's that's exactly who I think it is. That's Lashawn McCoy. And I remember going down and introducing myself.
0: Did you ever see, or it probably happened to you multiple times, but are there were there ever times where you'd see LeSean McCoy make a play and you were just like, oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: and you could just tell it was just natural. Uh, you could tell whenever somebody was born to play football. Uh, like I said, Tyler Palko was born to play football. LeSean McCoy was born to play football. Uh, Eric Donald, born to play football. Uh, you can tell when guys were just, uh, you know, they were supposed to play football. And LeSean McCoy was that guy. I mean – I mean, LeSean McCoy didn't even have to lift weights. He didn't have to run sprints. He was just naturally good at football, and uh, it showed. And, he'll, my, you know, he might even make it to the Hall of Fame one day.
0: Yeah, I think one day he'll be wearing that gold jacket. And, I mean, he's one of the best running backs to ever play the game. So, before we go, can we get your thoughts on the upcoming season for Pitt football? Yeah, I mean, they
1: have a lot coming back. And on defense, uh, they
0: do, like, two
1: do- – Keyshawn to their stellar defense. And I mean, there's a bunch of guys in that D-line that, uh, you know, that will back this year. And uh, Paris Ford coming back and DeMar Hamlin getting an extra year. Their defense is going to be, it should be. Uh, exciting to watch, and they should be the leaders of the team. You have Kenny Pickett coming back, who is going to be that veteran quarterback.
0: Hello? Doran? Hello? Uh, I think we lost you. Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. Do you know So, um, all right. So I'll just ask one last question about the team. So if there's one thing that you would say is the key to the season, just the question mark that can either make or break the season, uh, I got to go with Kenny Pickett. Uh, it, it,
1: this, this season will be, um, you know, he, he, he is a season starter. He has, uh, you know, this will be a second year under Mark Whipple. And um, I think the, this team will go as far as he goes. He has to make the right decisions and I believe he will. I'm a big fan of Kenny and um you know, he's he's that he's that tough leader that uh, I think Pitt is going to look at in tough situations that uh, he will be able to pull them out, and it'll be up to him. If he doesn't, then, you know, they'll be uh, searching for answers. But I do believe that he will answer the bell and, uh, and you know, getting over the adversity at times and, you know, winning the games that they need to win. Like last year, they should have beat Miami at home, a mediocre Miami team. You know, this year, they have to win those games. They have to. And, and that is going to be the, the, the telling point of, you know, what pit team we're going to see for the rest of the year. And um, I do believe it, it's up to Kenny Pickett to be that guy and to lead his team.
0: Thank you, Doran. So, Doran, thank you once again for joining us. Hey, thanks us for having time. me. Doran Dickerson. So, once again, thanks to Doran Dickerson for taking some time out of his day to join us on the podcast. Um, I mean, from Doran Dickerson, it's just – some good stuff from him. I think one thing what he said really shows you is the power of an offensive coordinator and the importance and the importance, excuse me, of an offensive coordinator. I mean, is he showed it right there. His first three years, he had uh, Matt Cavanaugh as the offensive coordinator. Matt Cavanaugh never took advantage of Dickerson's talent, but Dickerson's senior year, they brought in Frank Signetti Jr. and Doran Dickerson had an all-American season and got drafted into the NFL. And that just shows you An offensive coordinator, yes, they might not have that much talent. But the offensive coordinator is still super important in terms of having a good offense. It's not all about talent. And I think that shows you the difference in Pitt's offense from um, year two of Sean Watson to year one of Mark Whipple. Yes, the Mark Whipple offense struggled in the the red zone. But the Sean Watson offense was just, he didn't know how to use his talent. Mark Whipple was a lot better at using talent. Then Sean Watson was his offensive coordinator. And I think in year two, we're going to see even better offense from Mark Whipple, even more creativity. He's no, he knows his guys. He sees a lot of guys coming back. And I think the Pitt offense will be better this year under Mark Whipple, just coming off the topic of offensive coordinators. And it's just super important. And Dorian Dickerson's story really highlights that. And without Frank Signetti Jr., who knows if he would have had the career in the NFL that he had and who knows if he would have been an All-American in college. So thankfully, for Frank Zignetti, thankfully he had Frank Signetti Jr. And he was able to accomplish everything he did. So now, thank you to Doran Dickerson. We're going to go for a little q and I asked you guys on Twitter to send me some questions. And now I'm going to answer them. So the first question is from Average Conference Content at ACC Content on Twitter. My guy, he's some of the best ACC content on Twitter. I recommend you go follow him. He asked me, how will Kenny Pickett and the passing game complement that defense? Will it be a liability? Will he be a game manager? Or will he actually take a big step up in year two under Whipple and lead the team to the coastal title potentially? That's a very good question. But Kenny Pickett for this year's offense is the least of my concerns. Kenny Pickett showed last year, with an improved offensive coordinator in Mark Wimple that he is a solid quarterback. Yes, he's not the gra- he's a decent athlete. Not yes, he's not the greatest athlete in the world. Yes, he doesn't have the greatest arm, but he can get the job done. He can make most of the throws. His deep ball is a little inconsistent, but Kenny Pickett, he's a winner. He's a gamer. He wants to win. He's a lot of passion for the game. And, frankly, he is the least of my concerns with this year's offense. I think Kenny Pickett will be just fine. The question is, how will the talent around him step up? Last year, he didn't have much of a running game. Is that going to change this year with the addition of Izzy Abacanda? Last year, A.J. Davis, Todd Sibley, maybe we're not great. Um, Vincent Davis showed promises of freshmen. I don't know if he has the size to be an every down back, but with the addition of Izzy Abacanda, the true freshman, we could see a very improved running game due to his contributions, and that's one question mark for the offense. Is the running game? Did he didn't have much of that last year. Will he have that this year? And an extension of the running game is the offensive line. The offensive line, to me, is probably the biggest question mark of this offense. Um, at running back, I mean, you've got some talent, but at the wide receiver, you've got some talent. I'll get to them in a minute. But the offensive line, they were not, they were not very good last year. They were decent in pass protection. They were atrocious. They weren't very good in run blocking. Um, to me, that's the biggest question mark. It's not Kenny Pickett. It's not the biggest question mark. It's will he have time back there in the pocket? A lot of times last year, he was scrambling for his life, having to make plays with his legs. But as much as, yes, Kenny Pickett is a decent athlete, he's decent scrambling, he does not want to be making plays with his legs all day. All day. He does not want to be running for his life back there. He wants to be in the pocket, being able to deliver things clean throws to his wide receivers and that really depends on the offensive line the offensive line in my opinion is Patner out of all the positions Pat Narduzzi has had the most trouble with the offensive line in terms of recruiting and I mean no offense to those guys in the offensive line there we're seeing it I mean it was a very young line last year you return a four to five starters I believe Stefano Millen no excuse me Nolan Ulysio. Not Stefano Millen, the only one graduating from that offensive line. So you return the left ta- you return Carter Warren at left tackle. You return Bryce Hargrove, who's going to be second year starting at left guard. Jimmy Morrissey, a four-year starter, two-time captain at center. Uh you got Jay Drake Cradle and Gabe Hoy at uh right guard and right tackle. I mean, you could have Hoy slide over to right tackle, Jerry Drake could step in at right tackle. You could see Carson Van Lynn at that spot. But I think as a whole the offensive line, I mean those guys, they're getting they're going to be a year older, a year stronger, another year in the strength and conditioning program. They should be better, but the question is how much better will they be? Will they be a liability like last year, which they struggled a lot in pass protection, Kenny Pickett was running for his life, the running game had trouble getting holes, or will they take a step forward and be good enough? They don't have to be a great offensive line like that 2016 offensive line, but you have to give Kenny Pickett Enough time so he can get the ball to those weapons that he has at wide receiver. Just so if you don't do that, the pit off is really going to struggle. And if they don't carve up holes for the run game and uh, true freshman Izzy Abakanda, he's going to struggle because if he doesn't have it anywhere to run, doesn't matter how fast he is, doesn't matter how good of a back he is, no hole from the offensive line, he won't be able to do anything. So the offensive line, to me, not Kenny Pickett, is the biggest question mark for Pitt's offense. I think Kenny Pickett, to me, is the least of the worries. The wide receivers, guess they were a little inconsistent last year, but you've got talent there. You've got the returners. You've got three returners. Shocky Jacques-Louis with a breakout year last year. Uh, Casey or we all know, has been solid for the past two years. And uh, Jared Wayne, with two retro freshmen who started to break out last year. Um, He's shown a lot of promise as a bigger receiver, a target on those short routes, those underneath routes where it, uses size to uh, catch contested passes. And I think the wide receiving core, they just need to be more, a lot more consistent. Um, I mean, all those guys have talent. Wayne, Shaki Jock-Louis, uh Taysier Mack, you've got the two freshmen coming in, and Jordan Addison and Jalen Barden, those guys. At least one of those guys, like more likely Addison at this time, I believe, will be able to contribute. But they've just got to be more consistent with catching the football. I mean, They had a lot of drops last year. They dropped a lot of balls that could have maybe even won some games. The Miami game, if you don't have all those drops at the end of the game, you could arguably win that game. I mean, that really hurt Kenny Pickett last year. But overall, the biggest question mark, the wide receivers, I think the consistency will come. The biggest question mark is that offensive line. And I think if the offensive line can step up, Kenny Pickett will take a big step forward in year two under Mark Whipple. Because he won't be running for his life, he'll be able to show off his talent. He'll have time to throw, and I think if that offensive line can step up, he will have a very good year and potentially lead Pitt to, to a close title. So now we've got a question from Robert Mcatee McC- I hope I pronounced that right. At RWN McCatier on Twitter, he asked me, "Will the, with the centers and forwards on the roster, why isn't Pitt focusing on guards with the remaining scholarships?" And Robert, that's That's a very good question. I mean, a lot of people have asked me that question or a variety or something like that on Twitter, and I think it's because Jeff Cable trusts his guard depth. Last year, you had three guards. You had Johnson, McGowan, and Ryan Murphy. This year, you're also going to have three guards in Johnson, Horton, and Femi Odukale. I mean, a lot of people complained about the lack of guard depth last year. Yes, the guard depth last year was not great. You had to move drum goal to the two at stretches, which was not ideal. Um, and people complained about it. But going into this year, people are saying the same thing. We've only got three guards. You substitute Horton for McGowan and Murphy for Femi. And yes, you've only got three guards. Last year, three guards was a problem. This year, it's going to be a problem too. But let me tell you something, guys. There's a reason Jeff Capel is not looking for another guard. It's because he feels confident in his guys. Last year, Trey McGowan's had to sit for extended stretches. I think Jeff Capel knows he won't have to sit Trey McGowan's the way he'll have to sit Ethio Horton. Ethio Horton will be more consistent in terms of if he'll be able to be on the court more. And comparing Ryan Murphy to Femi Odukale, I think Femi Odukale is a huge upgrade over Ryan Murphy. I mean, Femi Odukala, he already has an ACC body. He's got ACC athleticism. He's a decent three-point shooter, can handle the ball pretty well, very athletic. And I think that's huge upgrade there. So last year, as much as the problem was they had only had three guards, another problem was Ryan Murphy at times just could not hold his own on the floor. And I mean, at that point, at points, you could only have two guards because you really couldn't rely on Murphy out there but this year Jeff Cable knows he's three competent guards in Xavier Johnson, Ethier Horton, and Stanley Odukale. and I think that goes to show you Cable's confidence in Odukale. I mean, the way things are looking, Odukale is going to be playing 15-20 minutes a game as a true freshman in the ACC. And that just shows you Jeff Cable thinks very highly of this kid as do I. I I had a poll on my Twitter earlier today. Who do I think who do you guys think will be the most Will have the mo- biggest impact as a true freshman this season. Most people said John Hughley. I believe it was seventy-five percent of people said Hughley. It was only only twelve percent of people said twelve percent of people said Willie Jeff William Jeffress, and only five and a half percent of people said Femi Odukale. Let me tell you guys something, Femi Odukale. He's going to surprise people. I mean, we can tell Jeff Capel already believes in him. He's putting him putting him in a position to play 15 to 20 minutes a game as a third guard. And that just shows you how Jeff Capel believes in him, and I, I, I agree. I mean, I think this kid's a really talented player, very good athlete, good size at 6'5", with that 6'11 wingspan. And I just think that goes to show you that Femi's going to be a good player here. And even if there are problems, maybe Femi can't be on the floor for that long, Where you've got guys in foul trouble, I think Jeff Capel feels comfortable with his other options at the two, I mean, William Jeffries is very versatile, might be able to play the two a little bit, Gerald Drumgoole will be better this year, I mean, he'll be able to contribute a little bit more, if that means at the two, he might contribute at the two, I mean, he'll be able to hold his own a lot more on the floor this year, last year, people said he looked a bit lost out there, I agree somewhat with that, but I think he'll take a step forward in year two, and if you want to put him at the two for a little bit, he can play the two for a little bit. Same with William Jefferson as a true freshman, and I think Jeff Capel, he feels fine with his guard depth. There's a reason he's not focusing on guards, and there's a reason he's focusing on big men. He knows what he's going to get out of his guards. He knows what Xavier Johnson's going to give him. He knows what Itiel Horton is going to give him. For the most part, he thinks he, he knows what Femi's Femi Odukala is gonna give him with fifteen to twenty minutes per game at at the guard spot. And with on the front court, he's not as sold. I mean Kareem Koulibaly showed flashes last year in the front court. I mean, he had some good games, but he didn't put together a consistent season. He's Kareem is a little bit as much as encouraging as he was last season. You don't necessarily know one hundred percent what you're gonna get from him. Terrell Brown, I mean, you know what you're gonna get from him. He's very inconsistent, but he'll have some good games, he'll have some bad games. But besides those two guys, I mean John Hughley, I mean he's coming in as a freshman, but it's a bit of big, big unknown. I mean, freshman evaluating a freshman big man is a lot different than evaluating a guard, which is why Capel feels so confident about Odu Kale, and he doesn't have the same confidence in the front court spot, which is why he's continuing to recruit. Front court guys. And with my last question, staying on the note of basketball and filling out the roster, Brad at Brad13 asked me, Do you think that Pitt might still look for a grad transfer guard or are they done adding to the roster? Brad, if I if I had to tell you, if my life depended on it, I would tell you that Pitt would not add another guy in this class, whether it be a true freshman, a you-go guy. Or grad transfer. I think Pitt will definitely not add a grad transfer. I mean, most of the grad transfers on the market, I mean, it's not really a fit. I mean, grad transfers who go, move up a level, they want to play. They want to play decent minutes. But at Pitt, I mean, the top two guard spots with uh, Xavier Johnson and Ithiel Horton are locked up. And an ACC caliber grad transfer wouldn't really want to come come off the bench and share minutes with Femi Odukale as one of the backup guards. I mean, there's no real appeal for a backup guard. I mean, for a grad, excuse me, a grad transfer guard to come to Pitt. And I also think Jeff Capel, he's he shown, he said that he doesn't want to take a body just to take a guy. He doesn't want to take a guy just for death. Oh, I mean, we'll, need, we'll play him if we need him. Jeff Capel's shown he doesn't want to do that. Uh, he said on the, on the radio, on 93.7 The Fan, he came out and said openly, I don't want to take a body just to take a body. It's hard to keep 13 guys happy. And Jeff Capel, for that reason, he doesn't want to just take a grad transfer guard. And overall, when it comes to high school kids, there are some guys who could potentially reclassify from 2021. That's the only way I see Pitt taking another guy in this class. Uh, You got three guys who really stand out. Two in particular. First guy's Gabe Witzener. He's a borderline top 100 center. Um, I mean, to me, he looks like a good prospect, very good footwork, um, good size, 6'11", foot. He'll be able to contribute some freshman year. Um, he said Pitt is recruiting him for 2021, but I could also see him making the jump to 2020. Second guy we've got is Brandon Weston, a wing from Chicago, 6'5", good athlete. Uh, Weston has said that he's not reclassifying. He plans to play a year of prep school in Brooklyn. Where he's from, uh, he's friends with Justin Champagne and Femi Urukale, which I can imagine only bodes well for Pitt. But he said he's not but everybody is not reclassifying until they reclassify. So I can see it happening. I don't think it'll happen, but it's a possibility for Pitt to get Brandon Weston to reclassify into the class of 2020. And the last guy, which this is more of a long shot, guys, is Aminu Muhammad. Uh, Muhammad is one of the top players, a four or five star guy in the class of 2021. Pitt will continue to recruit him hard into the class of 2021. And uh, Muhammad, it's not likely that he'll reclassify, but I mean, it can happen. I would be surprised, but it, it could be looked at as a possibility in the future. So thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Panthers Presence Podcast. It was great to have Doran Dickerson on the show, and next week. Going back to the basketball side, we're going to be joined by former pit forward Gilbert Brown. So we're excited to have Gilbert on next week, and hopefully we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening.